Open your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 21. I want us to read the first five verses of that chapter. Well, I hope that you all had a wonderful Christmas. But it's past. It's over. Have you noticed? We anticipated it the longest time. We look forward to it. And boom, it's gone. And now it's past. So I want to talk to you this morning about life after Christmas. If you look with me at Revelation chapter 21, John writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Isn't that a marvelous passage? Making everything new. I think it's fair to say, <clears throat> certainly, but there, there are going to be exceptions. I think it's fair to say that most all of us love Christmas. Is that a fair statement? I think most, most of us love Christmas. I have since I was a little boy. And we, we didn't have very much in our family growing up. And, uh, but we looked forward to Christmas and we look forward to the Christmas tree and to the presents under that tree on Christmas morning. It was such a delightful time, and it still is. And uh, even as our son was growing up, we, Julie and I, looked forward to Christmas morning and especially him coming uh, down the stairs and seeing the tree and his new bike or whatever it was that was under the tree. Most of us understand what that's like. The week following Christmas, however, is a different story. And I think if if you're like me, the week following Christmas, you experience kind of a letdown. I know we anticipate the new year, but that's almost kind of anticlimactic. We experience kind of a letdown, a, a sad, if you will, nostalgia for the passing of the season. Again, anticipating it, looking forward to it. And now it's over. In fact, yesterday, my wife said, maybe I'll take the tree down today. I said, oh, no, 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 leave it up a couple more days. I'm just like that. I'm sentimental. I like that stuff. I like the decorations. And I think most of us are sentimental that way. And I think in the aftermath of Christmas, um, I think we miss some things. We miss the anticipation. We miss the joy. We miss the warmth. We miss the, the hope of the season and getting together with family and friends. For one brief shining moment in our year, think about this. The world seems to change 
a little for the better, doesn't it? For one brief shining moment in our year, we all seem to change a little for the better. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Each year after Thanksgiving, certainly in our house, we anticipate the first week of December. The first week of December, we have we make our annual trek to Home Depot <laughs> to get our tree. It's always fun. And we rummage through the trees and wrap them and shake them and want to find the perfect shaped tree. And every year, my wife says, honey, this is the best tree ever. <laughs> it's a ritual for us. We get the decorations out of the garage, and, and we have many, many, and my wife has assembled over the past 37 years of our married life lots and lots of decorations, many handed down from her mother and my mother uh, to us. I get to put the lights up on the tree, and she hangs the decorations. She rearranges the lights, by the way, after I hang them. <laughs> but that's part of our process. We put the CDs on, the Christmas music. Of course, in our house, Christmas music has been on since June. (laughs) And with each ornament that goes on the tree, we remember past Christmases. We remember special things. And every ornament has special significance to us. And the ones, certainly, that have been passed down to us have a special significance. We always take a moment to acknowledge that. But then Christmas is over. And it's time to take all the decorations down. It's time to put the ornaments and the trimmings back in the bins and the boxes and put them away back on the top of the garage shelf. We find that we're not nearly so eager to do that as we were to set it all up. One, because it's a hassle to take all that stuff down. But really because the festivities are so enjoyable. The season is so enjoyable. Preparing for the Christmas season is exciting. I, I, I just love it. But parting from it is something different. Parting from it is like saying goodbye to, to loved ones, truly loved ones, and, and, and friends, close friends, when they leave after the holidays. You see, we've just had a wonderful experience, and quite frankly, we don't want it to end. The days and the weeks that follow after Christmas can slowly and easily rob us of the wonder of these special days. As we look around the house with all the decorations down, it looks kind of bare now and kind of empty and kind of drab. It's not nearly as festive. And we can't help thinking, wouldn't it be great if Christmas could last forever? Think about that. Wouldn't it be great if Christmas could last forever? But you see, this is not just about decorations. It's not just about the warm, friendly gathering. You see, Christmas, at Christmas, we get a taste of something. We get a taste of the eternal. Just a taste of it. And that ought to whet our appetite for more. I'm always fascinated by those who bah humbug Christmas and are kind of Christmas Grinches and 
those people who would say, well, you know, Christmas is just a pagan holiday in all the commercialism. And I try to expand their perspective. And this is what I want to do for you this morning. The Christmas, notwithstanding reflecting a lot of that stuff, really is a special time. And it does, it does. It's like God pulls the curtain back a little bit and gives us a little bit of a glimpse of eternity and whets our appetite for eternity. When you have the right and the proper view of Christmas, it should indeed whet your appetite for more. Think about this. At Christmas time, strained relationships often seem better as we are more willing to put aside our differences. Giving takes precedence over getting. Our homes experience a a certain joy, a certain holiness, at least certainly our home does. There's a peace and a generosity and a love that fills the air and fills the atmosphere. And that's not always present in our homes, except at Christmas. And something in us, may I dare say, our souls long for more of that. That's something that we we desire and hunger. Christmas introduces us to that. But then again, the season ends. And maybe the grudge that we overlooked during Christmas flares up again after the new year. The weaknesses in others that we were more willing to overlook at Christmas become unacceptable once more. The season is a wonderful season, but it can be elusive in the aftermath of it. Our patience, I think, strengthened and encouraged by the Christmas season may grow short again. Have you ever noticed the the, the subtle changes in you at Christmas and you'd seem to be more patient, more gracious, kinder, more loving, more willing to put up with foolishness? But after Christmas, the Christmas spirit seems to elude us. Peace with God is a reality, and it's a reality to those who have placed their faith in him. If you are a Christian, you are at peace with God. God's at peace with you. Is that not good news? We celebrate that at the communion table uh, when Greg shared with us that to remember him. Jesus is the peacemaker, and he's made peace on our behalf with God. But you see... Perfect peace with each other remains a bit elusive, doesn't it? Though many promises of the Bible have been fulfilled, the Messiah has come, our salvation has been secured, the needles on our tree of life can easily fall just like those needles off the tree as it ages when when we touch them. Pain, disappointment, sorrow, trials. All of these things can be anesthetized a bit by the Christmas season, but they soon reappear. You see, life on planet Earth, quite frankly, is still the same. When I observe my own post-Christmas letdown, I can't help but wonder what life was like for Mary and Joseph and for all the other characters in the Christmas story a year later. What was it like for them? 
the shepherds. The shepherds were back in their fields. They were watching the sheep. Had they been changed? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But had life itself changed that much for them? Probably not. Did they ever wish that they could recapture the surprise and the joy and the holiness of that visit when the angels came and surprised them? Could they ever recapture that? And what about that holy moment at the manger when they beheld the baby, Jesus? What a moment. Those kinds of moments are rare, aren't they? Those kinds of moments are powerful. And, and, and in our own lives, we long to recapture those moments. But they're once in a lifetime, aren't they? I wonder if those shepherds watched the sky every night expectantly. Maybe for the rest of their lives, would those angels reappear? Would, there, would they bring another glorious message were their dreams filled with memories of that visitation by those angels? What about the wise men? The wise men returned to their own homeland and to their lives, and after all, we all understand that life must go on after you've witnessed a miracle, huh? doesn't stop. The star that had guided them disappeared from the sky, and their lives had been forever changed but you see, life on earth has not been changed. It's like us. When you've come to faith and your eyes have been opened, you've been changed. But life doesn't change. Would the wise men like the shepherds be looking for <clears throat> maybe a repeat miracle? Would there be another celestial sign? Did they spend the rest of their lives trying to fully understand the miracle that they had witnessed? Or did the daily grind of life slowly shift their focus away from that miraculous time? We know what that's like, don't we? What about Herod, that murderous king? He continued to abuse his power to secure his kingdom against all challenges. But did he ever find peace of mind? regarding the child born king of the Jews? Or did he, did he remain troubled? Did he worry that somehow that renegade child king had escaped his deadly purge and might one day threaten his rule? I wonder, did the scriptures that the chief priests and the teachers of the law, those scriptures that they shared with him, did they haunt his dreams? For a time, Mary and Joseph had to live in Egypt, you recall. They lived in Egypt as refugees, hiding their son Jesus from the murderous plot of Herod. Eventually, though, they returned home to Nazareth. Joseph to his carpentry work. Mary to her life of mothering and homemaking. They would never be the same as a result of their experiences but life, life with its hardships, with its pain, daily routine, and yes, its joys and successes would go on. Yet despite this return to the ordinary 
sameness of life. In reality, nothing would ever be the same. Isn't that amazing? Nothing would ever really be the same. Everything changed when Jesus came into the world. The power of sin would soon be broken. And the plans of Satan would be crushed. You see, God's grace had been born into the world. A power so great, nothing, nothing could prevail against it. I'm reminded of those words, if my God is for you, who can be against you? The kingdom of hell shall not prevail against the kingdom of heaven. The spiritual axis of the world literally had shifted and it shifted violently with the birth of Jesus. The effect could not have been more more profound if the earth's physical axis had literally shifted. Jesus had come into the world. Today, the sinful momentum of our world does continue, making everything seem simply as it was before Jesus came. But a new kingdom has been established. And by faith we live in the long shadow of that promise. And at Christmas, the shadow seems to lift for a moment. And we seem so much closer to that day. Christmas. Christmas. Christmas with its celebrations, with its joy, excitement, warmth. Christmas reminds us that although many wonderful promises have been fulfilled in our midst, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for the last eternal Christmas morning, the one that will last forever. Think about that. We who, who really love Christmas and wish it would last longer, we're looking forward to that one final Christmas morning that will, in fact, last forever. The writer J.B. Phillips, <clears throat> he wrote this. He says, nothing can alter the fact that we live on a visited planet. Think about that. We live on a visited planet. He urges us as we daily tread on the surface of this planet to reflect with confidence that our God has been here on this planet. He's actually been here. Have you ever taken that into account during your celebration of Christmas? Your God walked this earth? Wow. He touched the leaves on trees. He quenched his thirst with cool water. He watched the sun rise and set. He followed the moon across the night sky, as so many of us have. Phillips goes on to say this, when God decides that the human experiment has gone on long enough, yes, even in the midst of what appears to be confusion and incompleteness, Christ will come again. He will come again. This is what the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament teaches. And it's for us to be alert. It's us, for us to be vigilant. It's for us to be faithful and, and fruitful. For when he comes, 
We don't want it to be a terror. We don't want it to be shocked and surprised and, and left empty-handed. We want that to, to be an act of overwhelming joy. He's come. We've been, we've been anticipating. We've been anticipating. Much as you anticipate Christmas morning, we anticipate that one final last Christmas morning when he comes again. Perhaps that is one of the elements that makes our celebrations kind of bittersweet. Part of us wants to hold on to the hope of a better world, a world where Christ will come to stay, where sin will be banished from our hearts as well as our world. Yet we live with it, don't we? We desperately want to embrace all that Christmas promises, especially Emmanuel, God with us. He came to live with us. And the Bible tells us now he lives in us. But his inner presence only makes us desire more. Once you've tasted of the Lord, once you've tasted of the goodness of the Lord, you want more. Lord, I want more of you. I want to know you more intimately. I want to know your love and your grace and your power more. You see, the Savior has come and he's opened our eyes to perfect eternity. And we can't help experience, can't help just experiencing a sort of heavenly homesickness. What's it going to be like? What's it going to be like? We who wait for the promise must wait, however, a bit longer, mustn't we? And waiting is not our favorite thing. How many love to wait? No. Waiting is not our favorite thing. It's difficult. Waiting does something to us, but it also does something for us. Waiting for most of us is kind of like um, an awful desert. A desert place between where we are and where we want to go. And typically, we don't like such a place. We want to get out of it by doing something. But this is one you can't get out of by doing something. It impresses me that all those who appear in the gospel account, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, birth narratives, in Matthew and Luke, they're all waiting. And when you read the accounts, you notice this. Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting. Mary is waiting. Simeon and Anna in the temple, who were there when Jesus is brought for his dedication, they've been waiting, and they speak about their waiting. The whole opening scene of the good news is filled with people who are waiting. And people who wait have received a promise that allows them to wait. You see, that's what makes our waiting tolerable. We've received a promise, and that promise allows us to wait. We've received something that's it's at work in us. It's kind of like a seed that has started to grow. I have this promise. I have this promise. 
Here's an important thought, I think. We can only really wait if what we are waiting for has already begun for us. Ooh, think about that. Has the kingdom of God begun for you in your life already? Has your appetite been whetted? You want more? Has Christmas brought a new understanding to you of God's plan and purpose? You see, waiting is never a movement from nothing to something. It's always a movement from something to something more. We have something. We have this promise. And we're waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. Christmas provides kind of like a a looking glass for us. God came to live among us and now we wait for the day when we will live with him forever. That's what Christmas is. Life as we know it is not life as it will always be. Isn't that glorious? And as surely as God has kept his promise to enter our world and bring us back to him, so he will take us to be with him one day. I think all of us long to live in his perfect presence just as naturally as we live in this fallen, sad, dying world. The blessed hope and the painful reality of that are never more in contrast than they are at Christmas time. Living here and yet this hope, the pain, the sorrow, the grief, the sadness, and yet this great hope, this great reality. Our greatest dreams and our deepest despair often intersect at Christmas. The celebration of Christmas, I think, can be viewed as a kind of a delicious hors d'oeuvre to eternity, tantalizing us with reminders that the banquet is yet still to come, and it will be eternally satisfying. Part of the real Christmas spirit is hope. Think about that. Part of the real Christmas spirit is hope. It inspires in us the day when Jesus will come again. It reminds us of the day when Jesus will come again and he'll not come any longer as a baby in that manger. He's going to come as Lord of the universe. This is the ultimate fulfillment of all that Christmas promises. That baby from Bethlehem will visit the planet he once called home. But this time, he'll not come in humility. This time, he comes in power and in glory. Death will finally be overcome. Replaced by eternal life. Old things will pass away, as John says. Behold, new things will come. Lies will be replaced with truth. Injustice will be no more. Sadness, pain, regret, loss, failure, tears will pass away, never, ever to return. Doesn't that sound glorious? And those of us who 
has spent so many years celebrating Christmas and the firm belief that one day, one day faith will be sight. What we've held on to by faith, we'll finally see, we'll finally experience on that final eternal Christmas morning. What do we do until that time comes? Well, we keep the lights on. We keep the lights on. You see, in each celebration of Christmas, we turn the lights on in anticipation of that final morning. The story is told of a a family who kept their Christmas lights on long after the season had passed. Months and months. And people were critical of them. You know how you drive by a house and you see the Christmas lights still on in June? You think, yeah, you take those lights down, right? We, we tend to be somewhat critical of people like that. Well, it was months after Christmas when a sign appeared in front of that house that explained why they left the Christmas lights on. Didn't they just leave the Christmas lights up? They left them on for months after Christmas. Doesn't that seem a bit odd? But a sign appeared in front of the home explaining why they left their Christmas lights not only up, but on. And the sign said simply, Welcome home, Jimmy. You see, the family had a son who was fighting in Iraq. And they had unashamedly left their Christmas lights on in anticipation of his return. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You see, lights are a symbol of hope. They're a symbol of hope in Christians' And for us, Christians, Christmas is how we, in effect, keep the lights on, anticipating his return. Every time you and I celebrate Christmas, every time you and I embrace the season, we are, in effect, keeping the lights on. We're looking forward to that one final Christmas morning. All the joys of all of our Christmas experience are going to pale in comparison when he finally comes on that last eternal Christmas morning. The divine Christmas light will never, ever be extinguished. And the joy will never fade. The hope will finally be fulfilled. All the longings, all the things that we'd wish for. Oh, I wish Christmas could last. Oh, I wish Christmas could last. Finally, all of those dreams and hopes and wishes will be fulfilled. Our king will have come at last. The long-promised kingdom of God will be ushered in and all of our dreams now will become a reality. Peace on earth, goodwill to men will no longer simply be a hope or a, a slogan on a Christmas card. It'll be the actual inheritance of all who have longed for his appearing. Finally, peace on earth. Finally, goodwill to be experienced. You see, each Christmas, we, in effect, keep the lights on. That's what we do. We know that the promise is just a little bit closer. And when we speak of the hope of Christmas... We're imagining something other 
than what we are currently experiencing, something better and something eternal. Imagine that last Christmas morning. Imagine what life will be like when our world is ruled by our Lord who loves us so much that he died for us. What will life be like when the only emotions that fill our hearts are joy and love and peace? Oh my, delirious with joy and love and peace continuously. What will it be like to have no fear, no anxiety, no anger, no envy, no jealousy, no tears or sadness? What will that be like? Because the world in which we live is so perfect that no such emotions could ever even be produced. What will that be like? What will it be like to be so changed that we actually fit in a perfect world, a new world? So changed that we become something fundamentally different than we can ever hope to attain here on earth. Even in our best moments here, even as we are really growing, even as our, all of our biorhythms are in sync, What's it going to be like to be perfect? What will it be like to live a perfect life forever? Forever. Boy, don't you just long for those things? See, Christmas really points us to all of this. And with each passing Christmas, we grow closer and closer and closer to that one final Christmas where we're going to realize all of this perfection. What eternal wonders await us. We who will walk and live forever with our God in his perfect world. He will live here with us. He'll be our God and we'll be his people. What's it going to be like? Through his first coming, which we call Christmas, God revealed to us how much we have to look forward to in his second coming. And with every Christmas morning that I experience, I know that I'm that much closer to the last Christmas morning. I don't celebrate Christmas just simply as an isolated event. I celebrate it because it reminds me, it points me to the future coming, to that last Christmas morning. It takes on so much more significance than just the moment. And so I submit to you at Christmas, and for all the days after Christmas, let our, be, let our goal be to keep the lights on in our hearts in anticipation of his return. Keep the lights on. And when he does come back, that last Christmas morning will dawn and it will never end. And life after that last Christmas will be forever and ever and ever. Everything and beyond everything we can hope, think, or imagine. Isn't that exciting? Amen? Amen. Let me read to you one more time. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said this, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You can take this to the bank. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad for Christmas? Do you have a new appreciation for Christmas? A new vision for Christmas? Church, let's keep the lights on, shall we? Let's keep the lights on in our hearts. Life after Christmas doesn't need to be drab. It doesn't need to be hopeless. It's going to be challenging, but let's keep the lights on in our hearts in anticipation of that one final Christmas morning that is surely, surely coming. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you again for your grace to us. Thank you for saving us.